Keep Talking exists to have conversations that might help to make a better society and a better culture. I believe that each guest has important information and stories to make public. This is the Keep Talking podcast. To support it, please take a second and subscribe to the show. It helps to make this content possible. The following is a conversation with Joyce Benenson. Joyce Benenson is an author, a scientist, and a lecturer in the Department of Human Evolutionary Biology at Harvard University. During our conversation, Joyce talks about her field of expertise and research, sex differences in competition and cooperation. She also discusses human hierarchies, common misconceptions about men and boys, how she would, on average, describe the male and female psyche, consistent differences between boys and girls in childhood, and more. Like many of the recent brilliant guests on this show, Joyce's focus is human nature, what we know about who we are and what we're like. I can't get enough of this subject, and people like her have spent a career trying to answer fundamental questions about what makes us human. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joyce Benenson. Joyce, thank you so much for doing this. I have loved doing research for this conversation. I'm fascinated by the the work that you do and the expertise that you have. It's really wonderful to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. I want to read your biography. It's a short blurb on the Harvard website. And just to give the listeners and viewers a bit, uh, some context as to what exactly it is that you primarily focus on, you can obviously alter this if, if necessary, but it reads as follows, that you study, quote, the development of human social structure with an emphasis on sex differences in competition and cooperation. I guess it might help first to verify that that is correct. And second to ask, how and why did you get interested in this? stuff in the first place. What is that story? Okay, so that's correct. And I'll let you know. (laughs) Um, So basically, yeah, I was doing my uh, doctoral research, and I was really interested in what people actually do when they can do whatever they want, as opposed to, you know, the captive settings that many people in Western societies find themselves in. So I took to going to schools and just hanging out during recess. So I did that basically for a year at, I guess, with nine to 11 year olds and another year with three to five year olds. So I really developed all my ideas based on what I was seeing. And then I checked out um, whether this was true for people who were in non-Western or what we call weird societies, Western educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. So non societies like that. Mm. And, um, and sure enough, you know, they were reporting the same thing. So what was I seeing? I was seeing in little kids that boys like to do different things than girls. I mean, it sounds pretty stupid because anybody's gone in a preschool room, you can see that for yourselves. Mm. And um, it's true all over the world, even when there's not a preschool room set up with a kitchen and, you know, cars and trucks, whatever. So it's true all over the world. Boys and girls have different interests and, you know, sexual segregation of occupations is true all over the world. So I was like really interested in why people weren't spending a lot of time, you know, talking about this, because if you want to understand human nature, which was my interest at the time, I was in a psychology program. Now I'm kind of in a biology program. But um, if you want to understand human nature, you need to look at what are humans doing? Who are they spending time 
close in proximity to? Um, who are they touching? Who are they having fun with? Who are they getting fights with? Who are they living their lives with? And so what I saw is very early in life, you know, before anybody was providing instruction, there were the girls over here and there were the boys over there. And I thought social structure is really key to understanding human nature. Yeah. I've had Joe Henrik on the show, so I'm I'm familiar with the the weird okay. book, Brilliant Guy. I loved that conversation. And I, you know, I have to think a lot of people are really interested in in you and what you know, given the just fascination that people have about human nature and also you know wanting to know more about the opposite sex and what the real differences are between men and women and boys and girls. And you just alluded to this. And so it's probably just worth me asking you the basic, yeah, the basic f- question, which is, what did you find? What are the major differences that are worth mentioning about the differences in boys and girls and men and women? Okay, so that's obviously a lot, a lot of research, <laughs> and this can be done at yeah, this can be done at very different levels. So you know, there are people looking at the gene level and people looking at the hormonal level. You know, so there's all kinds of levels. I look at behavior. So, you know, that's that's what I've done. And and what I see is within female groups and within male groups, and I use the word female male to indicate both children and adults, so girls and women um, or boys and men, what you see is both different interests. And of course, we can go into those interests, but they're pretty well known, whether you want to talk about empathy or interest in, you know, young children or disabled people or whatever it is, and or competition, uh, contests, sports, whatever, you know, so those different interests, but in addition to the different interests, they're carried out differently. So what you have is females much more preferring to make close dyadic uh, friendships, if we're talking about uh, unrelated individuals versus males who like lots of males around, lots of peers. They like to form small hierarchies. And I say small hierarchies because it's within a peer group. So you have the dominant and the next dominant, and they'll switch around. So one of them might be dominant if they're playing a certain sport, but the other one's better in the other sport. So he's dominant. So there's like a fight to the death and then they pick themselves up and they go on and they fight it again because it's not really causing too much injury and they prefer to do something else. Um, Females in contrast are really in big hierarchies in the sense that they're intergenerational. So I think women more than men are much more involved in, you know, with grandparents and with offspring and, you know, maybe aunts and uncles and and so forth. So that hierarchy is preformed. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, um, That's that's what females live in. And I think I find females much more Close, much closer to home, much more interested in just what goes on in the home and males escape whenever they can. Um, and again, I'm talking about even as simple things as looking at who's near the school classroom during recess. Uh, the girls are close. They'd like to talk to the teacher. They enjoy that kind of playing school, even at home. Um, and the boys, they are as far as they can get. And, and they're off on their own. They're not interested in the teachers, not interested in coming back to the school. And they have these large groups. So just expanding on that a little bit, males then in their large groups really do like what I talked about, the dominance, they're fighting for who's best, they're they're um, winning and losing in the direct contest. And, you know, girls, 
don't like that. And neither do Mm -hmm. women. Oftentimes it's like apology if I happen to do better than you or this idea of, you know, we're all equal and, you know, we want to stay like that. Of course, unless you're the mother and then you're the mother if you're you know if you're an actual mother you're playing the mother and then you get to be the dominant one but mostly everybody's equal and it's a very different um enjoyment and i would say that that's probably partially what you see in non-humans so now i i'm teaching about mammals and and primates and um some of my research is based on the fact that, oh, wait a second, if you really want us to understand humans, why don't we look at non-humans and see if these are the same you know, differences? And some of them are the same and some of them are not the same. But you certainly find the concern with infants and the closeness to grandmothers is typically more common um, in, in females and, and males fighting out and having these contests and becoming you know, close to each other, literally, and then farther away from each other and injuring each other, but then forgiving each other. You find that also in in non-humans. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. And I want to get into the differences between men and women as it, you know, uh, relates to dating and mating and strategy and um, jealousy, et cetera. But I, I heard you say the following quote on an interview, which I thought was totally fascinating. It probably helps just to start the conversation in a way by noting this. I said the exact same thing when I talked to Richard Reeves, who I know is somebody you're familiar with in his book about men and boys, his book of boys and men, and the difficulties that men and boys are experiencing in modern society. And and the note the notation was that these are on average uh descriptions and uh findings. And so I just want to plant that flag before we delve further into the conversation. Um, but this this is one of the the quotes that I found from you. And it was basically about the differences between men and women as it relates to the male psyche and the female psyche. And if I remember correctly, you said, in general, on average, the male psyche is concerned with um, competition and cooperation, kind of interplaying between the two. And for women, it was about Keeping things alive, if I remember correctly, is how you described yeah. it. I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to expand on what you mean by that, because I think that's a very deep insight into the mind on a very pithy level between the two. Okay, so I, you know, I just wrote this paper on survival, um, and I think it's if I had say this for non-humans and humans, and that is staying alive. Mm. It's so critical. It's Anne Campbell's theory from over 20 years ago now that I've expanded on with some of my colleagues here. And the idea that it makes no sense for a a human or non-human female to risk her life too much because, first of all, any non-weaned um offspring are going to die. And for humans who have decades of taking care of their offspring, there's a huge benefit to their offspring being able to stay alive and to be successful themselves. And I mean, reproductively successful and otherwise successful. So um, they can do well and have their own children do well. There's a huge benefit from mothers and grandmothers. And I don't think that can be overstated. You know, it's just so important. So what my paper did is I said, okay, what is that 
evidence that survival is really actually more important for females than males. Well, across mammalian species, and there are a few exceptions, but not many, and this Mm -hmm. includes all human cultures, again, very few exceptions, but not many, females live longer than males. Now, why is that? So as a biologist, you have to ask, why is that? What's causing that? And the obvious answer is this cause more, it's more beneficial for females to live longer than males. So what are the processes that allow females to live longer than males? So if I I just talk about humans now, which is probably most interesting to people, um, Females have a better immune system. So you name it. There's, a, again, a few exceptions, but from most diseases, from parasite infections, from whatever, you know, cancer, females survive longer than males. So that's it. And so you have to say, why is that? Well, their immune systems are better. And you can see that. And there's a lot of bad things that happen to girls and women because of that. And that is we're given the same uh, vaccination levels of whatever it is you know that that's being injected to protect us but we have twice as strong a reaction sometimes so you know this is not being taken into account females immune systems work better than males immune systems so that's number one other things females are more sensitive to pain than males yeah. everybody likes to laugh right you can interrupt me but i can go on and on i mean and females being more sensitive to pain is a good thing that's what i try to emphasize because that means you're less likely to get injured so rather than making fun of females you can say oh yeah i see why you're living longer because you're not getting into a fight or you're not burning yourself or you're not getting bitten twice by the same snake you know whatever because females don't like that pain and females are more likely to get up in the middle of the night because nighttime is scary and that's where a predator or conspecific another human is more likely to attack so females keep themselves and their offspring alive because of that and then you can go into anything females get disgusted more easily than males people might laugh at females for that it's really smart because that means you won't go near something that could give you a disease and you won't let your children go near it either Females are more fearful than males. Same thing. It's the same argument. Good idea, because otherwise you're more likely to die. And why take that chance? Um, Females are more careful socially than males. We smile more. We're more polite. We're not going to get in somebody's face because why? Because you're less likely to get beaten up. So females are more neurotic than males. That drives me crazy because it has such a negative connotation. But in fact, you know, neurotic meaning feeling vulnerable and worrying about things is really healthy as long as you don't go too far. And not being like that, of course, you're more likely to die or or get hurt. And the evidence is totally clear that males are less likely to survive at every single age. And this is even before males are born. So that's true. It's true all over the world. And, you know, I just describing these processes that I've really so easy to find where females are just more concerned about everything, you name mm. it, and, and yeah. it makes sense. So, uh, you know, the other side of this, of course, is that males are more able to contest outcomes. So they're more likely to engage in what I call interference competition, which is a special kind of competition where you actually prevent the other guy from winning. Females almost never do that. And even in non-humans, though it happens sometimes, it's very rare. But males sometimes will fight to the death. More often than not, they'll, you know, they'll bluff. Sometimes there's injury. And this is true across, you know, mammalian males, including humans. So you get these, uh, you know, ways of interacting that for males are much more direct much more intense and much more potentially lethal. So those are kind of the things I think you're picking up 
fun that I was saying from before. Absolutely. And there, there's a that can, that point you just made about neuroticism being, I had never heard that before. And I think it's such an important point that an increased propensity for neuroticism actually is a helpful survival skill in many, many situations and almost certainly is contributing to women living on average throughout the world longer than men are. And I, you know, to me, one of the reasons why your work is so important is the the difference in you mentioned this earlier the the difference in interests between the two sexes and you know i'm familiar with the ocean acronym as it relates to the big five personality traits the n in ocean being neuroticism and a lot of i think what our culture is trying to do with its public policy and its discussions about equality is to get to a point of equal opportunity that that seems to be kind of the north star for I think any healthy society who's trying to allow its citizens to flourish. And yet there's a difference between equality of opportunity and making everyone the same. And I'd love to give you a, you know, a platform to talk about what we know about the different interests consistently that are found between men and women and how you think about, you know, equality of outcome as it stands now in 2023. Okay, so equality is obviously a big topic. I, I'm going to give you what I know, which is just my little area, yeah. right? So um, what I do find is that females are much more concerned about equality than males are. Mm. So whether you talk about um, universal surveys with like, I don't know, 90 nations, females will say they care more about equality than males do. Um, so, or you talk about children and the way they speak around the world, females are more likely to talk about, let's do this. And, you know, would you want to do that? And okay, we'll do yours first and then we'll do mine. And this kind of equality all the time, um, as opposed to males are much more about power and, and achievement and dominance. And, you know, that that's what is definitely set. So I think, um, there's a lot of evidence that this is true, that females are more concerned about this. There is a lot of evidence with non-human mammals, if that interests people, where you don't have your kin around, you don't have your family members around, that you are not as likely to fight if you're a female. So mm. female non-humans, when they have their grandmother, meaning their own mother and their child there, um, when they have their sisters, when they have female kin, then they're more likely to fight because they have natural coalition partners and who are going to stick by them no matter what. Mm. That's what females do. And so what happens to those females who are all by themselves? And I'm not talking about humans now, meaning certain species, females leave at adolescence and they're in a society where they don't know anyone. So now what do you do if you're fighting for a mate or you're fighting for food or you're fighting for a shelter or you're fighting over something? Well, number one, you shouldn't fight because that you know, reduces your survival. But number two, females really try to avoid that. So in other words, they will go off and do things on their own and be much more solitary. When non-human mammals and their females are by themselves away from their kin, they tend not to fight. And what I have done lately is started thinking about humans in this way. So typically human females, whether, you know, girls or 
women are not surrounded by anyone but their immediate family. And males are more likely, though not always, to have family around. But even if that isn't the case, for a female to be all by herself, she doesn't want to contest things. That's dangerous. That's not a good idea. So therefore, one way that I would say a female competes is insisting on equality for all. So how does that help? Well, there's a pub study I published last week, and it shows that if a female and a male have a chance to bring down somebody who's higher performing than they are, and this is just a study, it's not real life, but it, you know, it's a study. Um, what they find is, or what we found, is that the females are much more likely to do it than males. But what are they doing? They are saying, okay, you've got more stuff than me. You're going to share it with me. And then we're going to end up equal, right? In contrast, males, even when the other individual is higher performing than they are, and this is all same sex, they'll say, I don't care. I'm going to have a contest with you. Even though they're more likely to lose because mm -hmm. the other is more dominant, they like the idea of trying anyway. So what you have is what I call now is real solid evidence that the way females compete is by equalizing things. And that's very effective if you're the lower down one, right? Yep. It's very effective. So I've heard this now. A number of people have sent me articles where they're not actually empirical. They're not comparing males and females, but they're describing something that males say don't doesn't happen that much. And that is ignoring higher ranked individuals in your institution, whether that's a medical institution or a legal institution or an academic institution. My work is on academia. Um, you see that there is the sense that lower ranked individuals who are females are less likely to be respectful of the higher ranked ones. There's mm -hmm. more a sense, yeah, as long as you're equal to me, okay, then I'm going to get along with you. So I give you an example where there's just a, a study that I just read, fascinating, where nurses don't really like to respect as much the doctors. Mm -hmm. And at compared to, and I should, I should restate that, female nurses, mm -hmm. and not all nurses are female, female mm -hmm. nurses have a harder time with female doctors. And male nurses don't. And male nurses are going to respect the females and the male doctors. So what you have is the final part of it is female doctors get along better than with male nurses. So what you have is this one cell that is not getting along well, and that mm -hmm. is the higher ranked and the lower ranked females. And that's because females like equality. They mm -hmm. really like it when the doctor or the surgeon or whoever is at the nurse's level. And so we have all these individuals working together at the same level. Now you can see the advantages and disadvantages. Okay, so I get to know your kids and I get to know your life because we're all the same. Disadvantages, hey, I need some help here. I need a scalpel. I need you to get something. And well, some of the nurses are saying, no, you get it for yourself. And this is real, real life. Um, my study was, we looked very, very in a standardized situation. And we said, you know, to, to men and women from around the world, we said, okay, if you could level, we call it leveling, this individual, um, would you, and females are more likely for money, they get paid money for this to do that, than males who want a contest. They're like, no, 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 I won't bother with that compared to the females. So what what I have, and I show it with three-year-olds as well, like when, you, when I show three-year-olds and I say in another class, this girl 
colored this beautiful house and it's perfectly colored and I could never color like that. <laughs> and this other one did this house and it's a mess. I mean, there's no nothing in the lines, the colors on top of each other. And I say, so how many, how many stars should we give to this drawing versus that drawing? And 50% of the girls said the same number. Whatever they wanted to give, they wanted to give the same number to the messy one and to the neat one. And you can see the advantage of that. It's very sweet. It's not penalizing anyone. And you can see the disadvantage, which is the one who works so hard to color so well is not getting, you know, a reward for it. And the males were less likely. I think it was 32% of them. And these are three to three to five-year-olds, I think, three and four-year-olds mostly. And the males are, you know, more likely to say no, the one who did a better job should get more. And you can see the advantage of each. But again, coming from now, spending a lot of time looking at the non-human literature, it fits very well that if you don't have your mother there who's going to support you, right, you want to make sure everybody's equal and, mm. and you can use it against other people. Absolutely fascinating stuff. And I wanted to get your take on something similar that that's similar to this that is my understanding that in addition to what you just mentioned that a a difference in interest in general and again this is a rough averaged heuristic is that in general women tend to be interested in people and this is specific to professions as well and men seem to be interested in things or systematizing and I wanted to see if you believe that that is supported by the evidence as well, again, on an average level, in part because, again, my understanding is that in Scandinavian countries where it is a much more egalitarian society with equal opportunity for both sexes, the difference in outcome in terms of free choices that are made by men and women in terms of the professions to go into, it exacerbated not shrunk, <laughs> didn't shrink those differences that, that women were much more likely to go into the caring professions like nursing. Men were much more apt to go into things like engineering and science. And again, I, no one is arguing that there shouldn't be opportunities for male nurses or female engineers. But I, I think really, if we're trying to uh, get to a point as best we can of having an equal opportunity, fair, just society, it's something to me that seems like we have to keep in mind. And I knew that was something I wanted to give you a platform to speak on. And I, maybe I'm totally off here with my understanding, but I wanted to get your feedback on that. Okay, so um, this is not what I study. I mean, yep. there is, you know, it's, it's pretty well known around the world. If I look at uh, small scale societies, hunter gatherer societies, I always feel more, most comfortable with that because they're simpler <laughs> than our societies. Yeah. Um, you see a huge sexual division of labor. And, you know, what is it? Well, the males are hunting, right? And, and that's certainly more dangerous and they're farther from home. And the females are gathering and they're taking care of the offspring. It's, it's huge. So I like this better because you don't have to talk about any politics or, or yeah. you know, societal constraints. Nonetheless, yeah, I mean, I think it's very clear that females do not like the mechanical side of things as much as males do, that part. What bothers me a little bit is to say that males are not as sociable as, mm. as females. And that I have never found. Um, so yes, if you're talking about hierarchical sociability where a female is taking care of someone who's disabled, sick, elderly, children, whatever, you know, 
anything like that. Females like doing that more than males. And I, I think that probably comes from, you know, this sense of empathy. And I can go into my study on that. But, you know, this sense of wanting to help um, someone who's having a hard time. Then I see there's a huge sex difference, just like the mechanical that just wanting to be with someone who's having a hard time. That's a big sex difference. But in terms of sociability, I mean, I wrote about this in my book. I, you know, I have one line that says, what could be more sociable than war? And I know that I feel very strongly when I go to schools and when I look at kids in their natural environment, what I see is males surrounded by other males having a marvelous time. Absolutely marvelous time. Males are very group oriented. Males are willing to die for individuals who they are unrelated to if they're on the same side in a war and living like that in the filth and the, you know, the difficulty with getting food and the chances that you might die and that you might have to, you know, sacrifice yourself for somebody you don't even know and maybe don't even like right next to you. That to me is ultimate sociability. So I think males really do enjoy one another's company tremendously. And I see that all the time, whether you're looking at government or business or this homophily or desire for males to be with one another is very, very strong. And uh, so I don't like that particular distinction. Females socialize in a different way. They don't like those big groups and they don't like uh, sacrificing themselves potentially for somebody they don't even know or maybe don't even like. Uh, mm. Females just don't do that. So what I see is, yes, the mechanical and yes, the kind of empathy driven differences are are very clear and, and found all over the world. But in terms of just sociability, I don't agree with that. I don't mm. think that, you know, females are more or less social than males. I think it's really different. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, I know that one of the things that my understanding that you've done a decent amount of, of work on, let me just read a quote, actually, that that you had said, I think, to this point. And I think this does map onto some of the stuff that uh, Richard Reeves talks about in, in his book of Boys and Men. Interestingly, I I had a conversation with um, a a guy about a year ago who is kind of an underground best-selling author of a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy. And his advice for men who are struggling, and Richard highlights this with the data in his book about how much men and boys are really falling behind in modernity. This guy's name um, uh, was is Dr. Robert Glover. And his his primary piece of advice for men is to find a male tribe to be around men. And I think, I don't know if this maps on exactly to what you just said, but I think there are at least some similarities here where men really do generally enjoy being around each other. And there aren't ready-made opportunities necessarily, especially as you become adult for an adult for that kind of camaraderie to happen that I think you were just alluding to in you know, what, you, what you've witnessed in recesses with little kids. This is the quote that that I heard you uh, say that I wanted to to uh, read out, which is, "I've always admired very much that all that all all that men have contributed. They've created our society. Our society is man made. Now, obviously, I don't want to take that out of context, but I, I wanted just to maybe put a finer point on that point about the role of men. And I've done a couple conversations, as I've mentioned, about you know, how men really seem to be struggling right now. And um, again, Richard, I think is probably the best person to speak on this with a whole lot of expertise right now. But 
what advice would you have? I mean, given your your knowledge about you know men and male nature, I know you're familiar with Richard. Um, and you just mentioned that I think one of the things that you've noted is just how social you think men really are. What what advice would you have for you know modern men who are are struggling? I know you know a lot about deaths of despair and how much more likely it is that that men are um, dying of overdoses and committing suicide successfully in our country. What what do you think about that? I'd love to give you an opportunity to speak to that. Okay, so there's two things. One, I would like to say that I don't totally, I loved Richard Reeves' book. It's yeah. marvelous. But I don't agree with the whole idea that boys and men are having so much so many more problems than girls and women because girls and women are having like terrible mental health crises. I mean, it's yeah. really bad. The You know, it's amazing the rates of depression and anxiety that, you know, for girls and women. So, but the evidence he looks at, certainly in terms of education, in terms of, you know, uh, being married and, and taking care of your offspring, um, certainly there's there's problems for, for boys and men too. And I think what we have, in my opinion, this society, and I've said this to Richard Reeves, is that we hmm. have, you know, these uh, men who are wildly successful. They have a huge percentage of the G- GDP, right, all over the world. And the rest of the people, and that's men and women, are are getting left behind. So to me, this problem of extreme equality is caused by these men doing fabulous things hmm. and leaving the rest of us behind. But I, I think that's very, very hard to take. But I also think that's what men do because they like to be dominant. They like to develop huge corporations. They like to have, you know, billions and billions of dollars and, you know, Females, sure, that would be nice, but they've got children to take care of and they've got their mother sick and, you know, they've got a family member and they've got other priorities. So I just see that as we're all suffering to some extent because in hunter-gatherer societies, it's not Mm -hmm. like this. It's not, you know, this extreme few males benefiting, you know, at the cost of the rest of us. But as far as men, what's going on? Well, I also would blame maybe some of these really brilliant men who have taken away males' jobs and a lot of males' jobs, whether you're talking about, you know, hunting or, or you're talking about any kind of brute force job in terms of forestry or, you know, um, you're talking about even washing dishes, which probably is a woman's job more, but a lot of the machinery, the computers and so forth that these really smart men have created. And I'm not saying women haven't done any of it, but women generally just have less time to do anything because they've got children who mean an awful lot to them. So it just Mm. cuts down the day. I don't see how mathematically you can get around that. So Mm. men are out there and they've created these incredible um, life-changing, societal changing um, uh, conveniences. And now, you know, with this AI stuff, maybe they're going to put us all out of work, but, but I think men are particularly um, vulnerable in this sense because women always have their children to take care of. Now I'm th- I'm waiting for the artificial womb and then the you know the artificial breastfeeding, which is already here really. But you could basically hook up a sort of cow for your infant, and you know that the, the childcare with you know some kind of Megan three creature, right? But for right now, women's always have that and they have something that means the world to them um which is to taking care of their offspring who they've created and whose survival is in their hands and you can't replace that at least not for a while but in contrast you know a lot of what men 
do has been replaced and the place to do it, you know, there's less uh, open areas and so forth. And men are, you know, experiencing this huge pressure to do things they don't like. So one of Richard Reed's, Reeves' um, recommendations is to um, have men, you know, step into women's roles, take care of the children, do it, be a nurse and so forth. I would be skeptical about whether that would work because mm-hmm. yes, it's true that girls from three years up they're they're willing to be a tomboy. There's a certain number of girls who like to go out and do what boys do. And now as society is, is providing some childcare and women can go out into the workforce, that's kind of like being a tomboy. That's fine. But boys are not really that interested with a few exceptions. And I'm in no way belittling that, but a lot of boys aren't that interested in taking care of dolls and aren't that interested in taking care of their little siblings as in a non-weird society and aren't that interested in the kinds of things that girls and women do. So then what are you going to do? Well, the men are replacing the things that the men are good at. And so they're putting out of work a lot of what makes males feel good about themselves. And so if we went back to hunter-gatherer society right now, there'd be no problem, right? Mm -hmm. The men would be out hunting. They would be keeping the the group safe. They would be maybe climbing trees to get the honey, and that's kind of dangerous too. You can get really stung. They would have things that they naturally do, and everybody would be grateful to them for doing that. And still, we're grateful to men for fighting because they're you know fighting wars. We wish we didn't have wars, and it's a terrible situation right now. But you know, we are grateful if somebody attacks us. I'm going to expect the men in my community to go do something. Honestly, I am, and um, that that's just the way it is because I want to stay away with my family members from anybody who could threaten our survival. So I do feel like. Um, that those basic roles of men are there. I also think men do really, really well when they're together in groups, whether that's government or religion or, you know, whatever it is, business is mostly, you know, where where you find men. I think they do really, really well. And people always complain because they won't let the women in. But men form the groups, they form the hierarchies, they fight, but they're fluid and they let the Ideally, best man rise to the top because it helps the whole group. And there's ways of regulating conflict that females don't have. And so men do really, really well in that. But the problem for me, as I see it, and and Richard Reeves, I think, sees this too, is that so many jobs require this high level of education. And men and boys don't like sitting in school. They never have. This isn't Mm. different. But now it's required. It's really required. So what are you going to do? And um, so it's a good question. I think my own answer, though, is it's not just boys and men who are going to have a hard time with this. It's girls and women, too, because it's really a scary situation in terms of AI taking over jobs and being pushed aside and so forth. So we have to see what's going to happen. Yeah. One of my big takeaways from talking to Richard, which I had never really considered before reading his book, is that, you know, in many ways, you know, women are, um, they're just fleecing men in academic uh, accomplishments these days. And his point was that really just female opportunity in educational success has been unleashed. That those advantages that women on average tend to have, like long-term planning, conscientiousness, were always there. It's just now we're finally seeing that in real time. And they're completely destroying men. 
um, in modern educational systems. And, you know, I, I know, you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about, which I know you've spoken about in prior conversations as well, is intrasexual competition um, with men and women. And I think anyone that's interested in people are inter- would be interested in, in this because it's such a huge part of life, how people really compete for um, partners and mates. Before we get into that, I mean, one of the things I was thinking about when you were speaking earlier in the conversation is that if you take these two models, two mentalities of an equality of opportunity playing field where people are free to try to rise up a hierarchy, take that as a traditionally like a, a masculine mentality, and then a more feminine mentality of we, this is about equality. You know, what we're going to emphasize as a group is equality. In my mind, you've just described, roughly speaking, the difference between the left and the right politically, that that's a governing principle of the Republican and the Democratic Party. Obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that. But in general, it's hard not to think of, uh, again, not that one is better than the other. Probably both are needed in different circumstances, depending on what they are. But I, I think it's not a bad rule of thumb to think about probably the reason there are more male Republicans and more female Democrats. Obviously, it's not a one-to-one map, but um, I thought that was kind of a a fascinating parallel there. Um, I'd love to talk about intrasexual competition and specific to women. And I know the phrase you have used before as it comes to women, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, is safe, subtle, (laughs) solitary. That those are the three big words that come to mind to you. You're obviously welcome to add or subtract anything else that's um, that comes to mind there. But uh, you know, there. I think culturally, it's well known that in the dating and mating market, that you know, men have a certain strategy. It probably maps onto you know the male propensity for in- interest in money and power and status. And I want to give some oxygen and just some openness to the opposite side of what women are doing. And I know my understanding is it kind of starts with those three words, safe, subtle, solitary. Maybe I'll just start by giving you an open um, you know, forum just to talk about those three concepts and anything else that you, know, that you think is relevant to what we now know about how women compete for, you know, for partners, for, for dates, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I honestly do not. There, some of my colleagues look at um, intrasexual competition for dates and so forth. Uh, that's not been my focus because I focused on on children, and I um, so I don't usually go up that far. Mm. But I can talk about kind of these three principles that um, define how I now think about sex differences and competition. So this is kind of where where I'm at right now. Um, So if I think about men as strong and big and fast, so size, strength, speed, those are my three S's for the males. That's true across basically mammalian societies, not all, but oftentimes the best fighter who is bigger and and stronger and and faster wins and Mm -hmm. wins the females. And that's a pretty strong male quality. And there's a lot of fighting, but there's also reconciliation and so forth. So that that's male. So how then do I contrast 
for females. Um, and I can just say, you know, I talk, talked about safety. So this is absolutely critical to maintain your survival. So what are you going to do if you want to compete with another female? And first of all, you're going to stay away from a male who's bigger and faster and stronger. So don't do that. That's mm-hmm. not a good idea. But with females who are usually your competitors, because usually females have the same interests compared to with males. And so what are you going to do? Well, you want to make sure you don't get hurt. That's absolutely critical. So you don't want to get into the size, strength, speed thing. Leave that aside. You're not going to have direct contests where those are advantageous. So rather, what you're going to do is you're going to try to compete in some way that won't hurt you, but you still get what you want. And that's much trickier. Uh, you know, it People talk about, you know, females not being direct or so forth. But it it how are you going to be direct if you want to make sure that you get what you want, but you don't want to jeopardize your survival or your offspring's survival? So then you think of what techniques can you use? Um, so let's think about what, what can you do if, if you are, you know, you want to compete, but you don't want to get hurt. Well, one thing that I find very elegant solution, social exclusion, not to say males ever, you know, males will social exclude, but I think females do this more. And I think it's very smart because if you socially exclude, meaning you have other females with you, then that lone target is not going to go after you. You you would not in any way, shape or form. I'm not even talking about physically, but if there's several of you and one of her, that's a huge advantage. So social exclusion, which is horribly painful, is, is a good tactic to be overtly aggressive without getting into a contest, a a physical or verbal contest where you could get, get hurt. It could, could always lead to blows and, and you could actually be injured. So, that would be one way to stay safe. And then, of course, are all the subtle um, mm-hmm. tactics that females use. So this has been studied, as I said, much more by my colleagues and me. But basically, I call it disguised competition. That's what subtle competition is. You're not being clear. So what would females do that males want? They would be really sweet and compassionate. So, geez, I mean, it really is hard to find a dress, isn't it? You say to someone in an ugly dress, right? And you say that loud and you say that clear and you're being compassionate and considerate and sympathetic that she's wearing such an ugly dress. And then, you know, really that that happened to you. Wow. That's one of the worst injuries I've ever heard about. I feel so badly that happened to you. And the victim ends up not feeling like they are being taken care of because it's very confusing, but it's a way of telling other people, this is somebody who's got something wrong with them, you know, and so we want to stay away. So it's complex the way females do it. Males, of course, do lots of things other than direct contests. You know, they gossip too, they backstab, they, you know, denigrate others' reputations. So I'm not saying that, you know, males don't do this at all, but the way females do it, I would say is very disguised. So it's really subtle. So I've sometimes asked men if they can see what's going on and they haven't a clue. It's amazing to me sometimes. So a female will roll her eyes or, you know, look the other way or be really sweet and then turn, you know, to the one next door and, you know, make some nonverbal gesture. And the males haven't even noticed this. And the females are, you know, so they're using this compassion. They're using this subtle way of of interacting or smiling. So smiling is very important. Uh, Non-humans have these kinds of appeasement gestures, too. But, you know, you smile and then you say something that's not so nice. So that's really confusing. This person is smiling. So it hits a certain 
type of receptor in me that's saying friendly. And at the same time, they're saying something like, would I be willing to, you know, give up my seat at this table because there's somebody else really needs to be here. Um, And you say it sweetly and you say it softly and you say it with a smile. And that is, wow. I mean, that's something that really hits hard. You've just been kind of excluded from the group, but it's so nice that nobody picks up that that it was done in a mean way, only you're out. So these are the kinds of things that um, also the politeness, the thank you and the conscientiousness females are much more likely to do that. And that can be really, really good. And that's very important. But it also is a way of disguising competition. So what I call that, you know, subtle ways of competing without having to admit to it and, and always being able to say, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Hmm. So, and, and then the third thing I talk about is solitary. And I think this is the main thing when I talk about non-humans as well, when you are not surrounded by female kin, because of course I should add, if you are at home and you're with your mother and you're with your daughter and you're with your aunt, they're screaming and yelling, hitting all kinds of things. Right. So that's very important that Hmm. women do do this and girls do do this. Right. As far as I know, there's no sex difference in hitting your siblings. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not that females don't get into these direct contests and but they're at home with kin who are not going to kill you. And and there's some kind of constraints on what's going to happen. But if you're again, you're out with non kin, then I'm talking about these three procedures um, and safe and, and subtle and solitary. But particularly if you're living away from kin, which a lot of, you know, in weird societies we are, then females are going to have to figure out how to get what they want and not get into a contest. And females do that, I think, by going off and learning how to play the violin in our society by yourself, not mentioning it to anyone at school or being a great ice skater or doing really well on your test, but not mentioning. So yes, you got a hundred on your test, but you don't have to mention that to your friend because she probably won't like you because we all are equal and maybe she only got a 50%. So then she really won't enjoy hearing about this, you know? So this idea of getting what you need by going around everybody else's vision and, uh, you know, auditory space and you go off and you get it and then you don't tell anyone but then you've got it. So that's the only thing I can really say about competing for men is that rather than two men beating each other up in front of a woman or, you know, drinking more or driving faster, or whatever men do to show the women involved that, you know, they're the best one, right? Females would go off and get a really pretty dress at a store far away so that no other female gets the same pretty dress because it's the prettiest dress. So, and I've heard, you know, prom shop owners tell me this. We actually make lists now of which female gets which dress. So we make sure nobody gets exactly the same. And, you know, all these dresses are equally nice, but they're different. But of course, you can always kind of go around that if you go someplace else and get a better one. And there's many different ways in which I think females really believe that they're not competing and they go off by themselves and they are terribly competitive, right? Mm. And and it makes sense because all people who have higher socioeconomic status, higher income, higher education, higher um, occupation, you just do better in terms of survival and your children, how they do in terms of survival. So it's very hard to get around the idea that there is a huge advantage, particularly in our society, that's so unequal to climbing the status hierarchy. But you don't want to get in a contest if you're a female with someone else. That would be dangerous. 
Um, so you do it in a, a very, you know, solitary way, that, which is safe and very subtle because nobody knows you're even doing it. And then you come back and say, look at me, I'm the best ice skater. Oh, I didn't even know you ice skated. Yeah, I won the Olympics. So in other words, it's until you get to be really good at it, you are constantly saying, oh, I'm not so good. And, you know, I mean, I think this is kind of sad for those of us women. We can't say, oh, yeah, we're really good at something. You just can't come out and say that. You have to, like, hedge it or qualify and say it's just lucky that it happened to me or you know I don't know why this happened you know I, I have no explanation for it but you're out there practicing 10 hours a day to be a good <laughs> gymnast right and you know in contrast the males are saying you suck you lose or you're terrible and the other male is saying oh you think you're so great and it's snarling and yelling but at least everybody knows what's going on but you know that's that's a different style. And that's how I've seen it for many, many years. People are suddenly more interested in this now. It kind of, you know, makes me chuckle because I don't know why it's more interesting. I've always been fascinated by all this stuff. But, you know, uh, this is this is what I see. And I do yeah. think it is quite different. It is fascinating. And um, I think part of the reason I like to do this show is to try to get a better grasp on human nature. And it seems like like so many things about us, it it really has its roots in evolution and the evolution of our our minds, and that that is something that is just deeply baked in the human animal. Um, and knowing the differences, I think, is is just fascinating and important. I know we're getting close to the end of the conversation, and this was something I know I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about. And I again, you've mentioned this a couple of times that really your expertise is on sex differences in in boys and girls, young young children. Um, but I would I'd love to just maybe close on giving you a, an opportunity to talk about any any myths or you know falsifications or lies, outright lies that you see being propagated in our society, if at all that um you know you as a scientist and as an expert you know feel probably an obligation to correct that i think any wise society whether just trying to create a flourishing civilization or creating wise policy has to be rooted in the truth um and rooted in the reality of human nature and I wanted to just close maybe on that of giving you an opportunity to correct anything you you see that where we're going off base or maybe if nothing comes to mind, amplify um, an accurate assessment, an accurate cultural theme that you consistently see. If anything comes to mind there, I'd love to I'd love to close on that. Okay, so I will pick up one thing with which I have disagreed for many decades, and that is the idea that women are communal and men are agentic. This is across the business literature, the psychology literature, the kind of human sciences literature. And it's always referred to, and I think David Bakken came up with that wording in 1966, and it's still there. And this just drives me around the bend, I have to say, because I think... That women are very communal and men are very communal. And a lot of the things that women have been pushing against and trying to, you know, gain higher status positions in organizations and whether it's government or business or whatever it is, um, is because men are so communal, they're not letting the women in. You know, men really get along with each other very well. And you don't see that kind of camaraderie amongst 
unrelated women. The men are there and they really feel comfortable with each other. And all of a sudden comes in a woman, not to say that there aren't huge differences. Some women are more like men, some men are more like women. But the fact is that there really is this bonding amongst men. And that's what women, that's part of women's difficulty is breaking into that. But that's very communal. And as I brought up the war, and I I can talk about rough and tumble and I can talk about sports and I can talk about just sitting around talking about nothing, right, for men, that they're really having a great time and they don't even have to know one another that well. And of course, they have very, very close friends too, but the whole gamut. And and so men are very communal. Of course, when it comes to taking care of vulnerable people in your family, women are more communal. Women are just more communal in that way. So when it comes to kin when, um, and taking care of your spouse or whatever, Women are really, really very communal, but we're talking about different contexts and both are communal. And then the other side of that, which mm-hmm. really makes me crazy, is the idea that men are agentic and women are. So the idea that men are getting things done and they're, you know, independent and, and they, you know, they are uh, task oriented. These are the different synonyms, synonyms for uh, being agentic. And that makes me insane because what are women doing with it? Oh, well, we're just sitting around lounging. No. Okay. If you look at hunter gather societies, you look at modern societies, women are really busy, right? Really tired, doing a lot of things. And what are they doing? They're being agentic. They're taking care of their child to make sure they're alive every single day, 24 hours a day. I mean, talking about agency, task oriented, Mm -hmm. independence, that's what a woman is doing. What are women doing at work now in this modern society where we go away from our children and, and our spouses? Well, women are figuring out how to get the job done the best they can. And women are more conscientious than men. You know, women are really, really going above and beyond trying to figure out what the problem is. So women are super agentic. And the idea, and I think this comes from evolutionary biology, that, you know, oh, women are just passive and coy and they sit around um, and and the, bo- the boys and men are out there and being competitive and, and you know, trying to uh, get resources so they can attract the, the women, if we're talking about that. Um, I just think that is a false dichotomy, that women work really, really hard, and they're just doing different things than men are. But mm-hmm. they're very task-oriented. I mean, when you have young children in our society, children are young for a long time because they're so dependent, you're constantly figuring out how to keep them alive and help them thrive. And it never goes away. Men can come home from work and they're done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is certainly the old model, or even the hunter-gatherers, they come home from their hunting and they can socialize. They can have a good time. Women never can do that it's Mm. a completely different way of being and i think to understand women's agencies and see people might look at a woman and say oh my gosh why is she putting up with this abusive husband or something she's so passive no she's made a decision that this is the best she can do given this terrible situation to to keep herself alive to keep her her children alive Mm. to be able to have money um, to be able to do whatever she can. Women are agentic and they're mm. figuring things out and to think that they don't have decision-making power or not interested in tasks, this this is crazy-making to me. Mm. So, yeah. you know, I, I, that those are the two things that I've talked about for, for decades, really. Yeah. Love it, Joyce. Thank you so much for doing this. Your stuff is absolutely fascinating. It was an honor to do this. I really appreciate you making the time. Okay, my pleasure. All right, bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Keep Talking. If you're finding value in this podcast, please consider supporting the show via the links below on Venmo, PayPal, or Patreon. Your support helps to make these conversations possible. Thank you.